Well, John is going to come. If you want to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Genesis, Genesis 29 this morning, and he will be reading Scripture for us today. All right, Genesis chapter 29, and we're going to start in verse 16. Genesis 29:16. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Now Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled that I may go into her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. Now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob, and he went to her. And Laban gave his maid Zilpha to his daughter Leah as a maid. So it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this that you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, It must not be done so in our country, to give your younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week, and we will give you this one also, for the service which you serve with me still another seven years. And then Jacob did so and fulfilled her week, so he gave him his daughter Rachel as wife also. And Laban gave his maid Bil- Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as a maid. Then Jacob also went to Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served with Laban still another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. And she said, The Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now therefore my husband will love me. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. She received again and bore a son or she conceived again and bore a son, and he said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing. And open your Bibles this morning again to Genesis chapter 29 where John read for us a while ago. And we're going to be looking at this portion in just a few moments. One of our dear saints here in our church saw the title of my message this morning and told me that she used to watch that soap opera. I'm not going to ask how many others of you watched As the World Turns or All My Children or any of the others. Um, I don't watch too many soap operas in the daytime, but I do watch some programs at night. And I'm sure if you watch any evening TV at all, I'm sure maybe if you're a CSI fan, I like the CSIs. You've seen the name Jerry Buckheimer go across your screen. How many of you have seen that name? Yeah, okay. Most of us have. He's a director, a writer. He, uh, this week, Pirates of the Caribbean came out, and he also helped direct Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, he, uh, I don't think he wrote that, but I think he helped direct that movie, uh, plus a whole bunch of other movies. Uh, I guess seven or eight television programs and 20-some movies that he's directed. And uh, so we think about directors and writers, and this morning we're going to be uh, really focusing 
on God, who is the director and writer of the script or the narrative that we're going to be looking at in God's Word this morning. Because really, I want you to get this thought this morning, God is sovereign, He is in control. Let's say it again, God is sovereign, He is in control. I want us to say that together, here we go. God is sovereign, He is in control. That was pretty weak. Let's try it again. Here we go. God is sovereign. He is in control. That's a little bit better. How many of you really believe that? Raise your hand. How many of you believe that God is totally so sovereign over everything that happens? Raise your hand. How many people believe that when uh, President Obama made that ridiculous statement this week asking for Israel to go back to its 1967 borders, God's in control. Okay? How many of you believe when the Twin Towers fell that God woke up and He was surprised? No, He wasn't. He's in control. It's hard for us in our human mind to really get this concept because there's other things that we could talk about this morning. And as we even get into this narrative, this story this morning, that we're going to see, God, are you really in control of this? And sometimes I think if we'll even admit it, if we'll even admit it as Christians, sometimes in our own lives, when we go through difficulties, when we go through problems, we might even ask, God, are you really in control here? God, where are you? Are you really working? But I listen to me. God is in total control of everything. God does not sin, but the reality of it is God allows sin. That's hard for us to wrap our minds around, but God is sovereign. He is in control. He is in total control. So as the world turns, God is in control because He is a sovereign God. And this morning, I want to take us through this narrative. And so what I want to do is I want to introduce us to some characters this morning before we go through uh, the, the narrative itself. And the first would be two twin brothers Esau and Jacob. Let me tell you some things about Esau and Jacob. They were born, they were twins, and their father and mother were Isaac and Rebekah. And uh, if you remember that, some of you who've gone to Sunday school all your life know that. I'm not telling you anything new. And you know that Esau was the older of the two brothers. The Bible says that when Esau was born, he was red-haired and he was hairy, the Bible says. And uh, red-haired and hairy. We know that when Jacob uh, came, he was the second. The Bible says that he came out holding on to his brother's foot. Even the Bible talks about within Rebekah that there was a lot of fighting during her pregnancy. There was a lot of fighting going on between these two twin brothers. And she was carrying within her two different nations that would constantly be at each other. And so these brothers were constantly at each other. The other thing that I think is important that we realize, and uh, I'll point out to you that I really believe that Isaac, who was the uh, had this more of a love for Esau. Esau was a hunter. He was a man's man. He was a rough type guy. He would fit in right with you people who are hunters. Now I'm not a hunter, so I can you know probably fit in a little more more with Jacob. And because Jacob, when you study about him. The Bible says that he was a little bit more refined and more cultured. Now, don't say that you guys who are hunters are not cultured. 
don't go there, okay? But that's the truth. That's what the Bible said. And the reality of it is, was this, that Rebecca seemed to be more drawn to her son Jacob. Isaac to Esau. So, we know as we follow this story along, these two twin brothers, there are several things that happen. First of all, Esau had been out hunting. And uh, he came in and he was famished. He was starving. And uh, Jacob had made a nice portion of porridge or of stew, some type of really good stew. And he was there in the kitchen stirring it. And uh, Esau walked in and he smelled it. And he said, listen, man, I am hungry. I am starving. Give me something to eat. And evidently, Jacob toyed with him and wasn't going to give him anything to eat. And Esau said, listen, I'm willing to sell you. I am willing to sell you my birthright. In biblical times, the first son would always have the birthright. That meant at death, he would get a double portion. It meant that there were some special privileges that came along with that. That was something that was very important in biblical times. He was so hungry that he was willing to sell his birthright for a little bit of stew. And Jacob said, okay, give me the birthright. I'll give you the stew. So he sold his birthright. Now, Jacob, Jacob, if I had to say something about Jacob, he was a deceiver. He was cunning. He was a deceiver. And uh, as, as we go on and we, and we look at Jacob here a little more and this thing that went on between these two brothers, a little bit later in their life, in fact, it was towards the end of Isaac's life, the father would always pronounce a blessing on the older son. Many times each of the sons or even daughters, the father would bring them in, he would put his hand upon them, and he would pronounce a blessing. And so it was the end of Isaac's life. His eyesight was very bad. He could hardly see at all. And uh, Jacob and his mother got together and decided, hey, we're going to do something. We want Jacob to get the blessing. So they went out. They killed an animal. They put that animal on, Jacob, on Jacob's arms and around him. And they went in. And he said to his father, it's Esau. I'm here to get the blessing, Dad. And he said, is this, really, is this really you, Esau? And he said, yes, feel me. And he, and he felt him and he, he felt that hair and he said, yes, it is you. And so he pronounced the blessing upon the second son instead of the first son. He deceived his father to be able to get this blessing. So we, we see that Esau sold his birthright, but we see that Jacob stole the blessing. We're going to see more about Jacob as we go on this morning. Now, and the next person I want to introduce you to in our narrative that we're going to meet in just a moment is Rebecca's brother. His name is Laban. And uh, he, Laban, was a deceiver. In fact, Jacob would meet his match in Laban because Laban was even more of a deceiver than Jacob was. And Laban had two things on his mind, I believe, as you study him. Two things. One, he wanted to make money. And the second thing, he wanted to get rid of his one daughter. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. And we'll see how he did that in just a moment. I think those were the two things that he was focused on. He was a deceiver. Now, I want to introduce you to the two girls, two sisters that are involved in our story this morning. 
And these two sisters, uh, the first is named Rachel. And if you look in your Bible, and we'll be going here in just a moment, if you look in your Bible, and there in chapter 29, if you look at verse um, 16, it says, And Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was... Um, the name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. It says that Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. So next to Rachel there, or next to uh, Rachel, you can put beautiful. She was the beautiful sister. It was beautiful. And then there was Leah. Now, the King James says here that she was tender-eyed, a lot of the other versions of the Bible say that she was weak-eyed. Now, again, I want to put this in context of biblical times, and especially of this area. Remember how the women dressed back then? They were totally covered, their head was covered, and the only thing that basically you could see, you could all of their skin was covered, many times even their hands, but often you could see their hands and you could see just their what? Just the eyes. And so the eyes were very important. Even in Proverbs, it talks about the beauty of the eyes. And it talks about the eyes being the window of the soul. And so the eyes were very important in biblical times. And so when we look at the other translations, and it says that she was weak-eyed, literally, it could be translated in a lot of different ways. Uh, and, and I've read a lot of things on this. But this morning, I'm going to choose either she was had one eye that went one direction, one eye that went the other direction, or one eye that was limp, or what. But I've gone ahead and said that she was cross-eyed. So I like to say when I look at this narrative that you had the beautiful sister and you had the ugly sister. Now I'm not saying if you have an eye problem or you wear glasses that you're ugly, don't go there this morning, but that's the reality of what we're saying. So in our narrative this morning, as we open God's Word, and as I'm going to take you through this story this morning, where basically Esau is he's gone, he's out of the story, and so we're going to be focusing on Jacob, on Laban, and on uh, these two sisters, Leah and Rachel. So before we get into this narrative, this story, where we find God is in control, He is sovereign, I want us to pray, and then we'll look at this this morning. Father, I pray for the next few minutes that you would just quiet our hearts and our minds, that you would help us to be able to focus and concentrate on the Word of God, that you would speak to our hearts this morning. Father, I know there are some today that are going through some very difficult times within their personal life. Lord, I pray that you might minister to them. Lord, may they find comfort just in the thought of that you're in control. Lord, I know sometimes in my own life I'm out of control, but the fact is that God... You are in control. You are the writer of the story. You've written the script, Father, long before we were born. Before the foundations of this world, Father, You already chose for salvation. Father, before the foundations of this world, You already chose what our life would be like. And so, Father, this morning as we open our Bibles and we look at this story from Your Word, may we be encouraged, but may we also, Father, may we be convicted about areas of sin that might be in our lives that you might help us to deal with it today. In your name we pray, amen. Well, just to back up a little bit before we get into chapter 29 and we, we get into this, basically what has happened now, right after um, Jacob has deceived Esau, or just deceived Isaac and took the birthright 
we find out, if you want to back up and go into chapter um, 27, and look with me if you would, in chapter 27, um, in verse 41, it says, And Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing. Again, verse 41. Wherewith his father blessed him, and Esau said in his heart, The day of mourning for my father is at hand, then will I slay my brother Jacob. So basically what he says, when my dad is gone, I'm going to kill my brother for what he's done. In verse 42 it says, In these words of Esau, uh, her elder son, were told to Rebekah, and she sent and called Jacob her younger son, and said unto him, Behold, thy brother Esau as touching thee, comfort himself purposing to kill thee now therefore my son obey my voice arise flee thou to Laban my brethren to Haran and so uh, mom warns her favorite son hey listen your brother is pretty torqued at you in fact he's so mad he's going to kill you and so you better run in fact it'd be best for you if you went and you spent some time with my your uncle my brother Laban so I want you to head off and so that's where we get into he's running for his life. He's running for his life. Listen, if he doesn't leave town, he is going to be killed. So he takes off going to visit his uncle. And something happens, and we're not going to spend much time there, though it's an important part. Again, just like every episode of a soap opera, if you would. You know, you can't spend each time. We're just going to look at one show today, one part of the narrative. But what happens on his way to visit his uncle is he has an encounter with God. And I would encourage you this afternoon to spend some time just reading through chapter 28 where he has that dream and he sees the ladder that goes to heaven and he sees God ascending and descending, the Bible says, on that ladder. And it's there. In fact, he would call the place Bethel, the house of God. It is there, I really believe, for the first time, Jacob has a real encounter with God. Though he's got a heritage, I don't believe there had been a personal encounter with God for him. You know, listen, you can't depend on your heritage for your relationship with God. Just because your mom and dad go to church, just because your mom and dad know Jesus Christ, that's not going to be good enough for you to get to heaven. You're going to have to have a personal relationship with God. And so here in chapter 28, he has a personal encounter with God. He calls the place Bethel, the house of God. He says in verse 21, he says, so that I can come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. It's not my father's God now. This is my God now. This is my God. This Yahweh is my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall God's house and all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. So even right from the start, he says, you know what? This is going to be my place of worship. I'm even going to give a tenth to God. And so this is where he has an encounter with God. We get into chapter 29, and he arrives at his uncle's house. And he arrives, when he arrives there, the first place on the outside of the city was a well, just like in many cities, there's a well, just like we saw up there. In Africa, that well is a little bit outside the city. This well that he stops is outside the city. And when he's there, he encounters his cousin Rachel in verse 10. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his brother's, uh, uh, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, 
that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laman, his uh, mother's brother. And Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. I always thought that was interesting, but we won't go there. And Jacob told Rachel that he was uh, her father's brother and that he was Rebekah's son, and she ran and told her father. And it came to pass when Laban heard the tidings of Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house, and he told Laban all these things. And Laban said unto him, Surely thou art my bone and my flesh. And he abode with him the space of a month. So he arrives at his uncle's house and he sees Rebekah. I believe immediately there was a sense of feeling for her. Immediately he decided, whoa, she is beautiful. She is somebody like I'd like to spend my life with. And, uh, and he spends a month here. And then there's this conversation that takes place between Jacob and Laban. Verse 15. And Laban said unto Jacob, Because thou art my brother, shouldest thou um, therefore serve me for naught? Tell me, what shall thy wage be? He said, you know, I, you're, you're, my, you're my, my nephew, and I want to take care of you, and you, you've been here for a month, and you've already been serving, you've already been just doing a great job here. I don't think you should do it for nothing. What would you like me to give you? What would you like me to give you? says, and we read this, and Laban had two daughters. And the name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah was tender-eyed, Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I'll serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. So he sets out and he says, listen, man, I, I, I'm in love with your daughter. She is beautiful. I've just been head over heels with her since I've arrived and I am willing to work. How many years? Seven years. Seven years. Now you guys that are here and engaged, you thought your engagement period was long. Listen, he was going to be working seven years to get her. And so that's what he does. He works for seven years to be able to get her. And, and I mean, you, when you think about that, I mean, that's a, that's a long amount of time, seven years. But he was willing to do that because he had such love for her. And so he works those seven years, and I'm sure as love is, it just seemed like what? A day. I mean, isn't that true? I mean, many of us, we've been married 35 years, and it just seems like what? An eternity. No, I mean, it just seems like a, a day. I know you're looking at me like that, but it does seem just like a day since we were married. It seems that it goes quick, doesn't it? And so here is exactly what happens. It went quick. Those seven years passed in our story, and now it's time for the wedding. It's the exciting time, the, the time for the wedding. It says, And Laban said, It is better that I give her to thee than I should give her to any another man. Abide with me. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. And Jacob said unto Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go unto her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. And it came to pass in the evening, and he took Leah his daughter and brought her to him, and he went unto her. And Laban gave his daughter Leah Zelpah his maid for an handmaiden. Now, let me tell you a little bit again to put you in context. Again, a wedding would much like 
in the time of Christ, weddings then would not just be like we go to today. You might go to a wedding and it might last, you know, the, the ceremony might last an hour and then the reception might last three or four or five hours. In biblical times, often they would last days. Sometimes even up to seven days a wedding would last. Remember in John how they ran out of wine when Jesus went to the wedding? That wedding probably had gone on for several days. This was the same type of custom back here in this time. This wedding probably went on and on, most likely. And, and like many weddings at that time, they were, they, many of them would get intoxicated. And, and, and I'm not saying Jacob did. I don't know if he did or not. Um, but anyway, this wedding went on and all of a sudden it was time for the consummation of the marriage. Again, let me set the context. There were no lights or anything like that in the biblical times either, okay? So here's what happens if you don't know the story. And it came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah. So he went in in the middle of the night and he went into her. He spent the night. They consummated the marriage in a physical relationship. All of a sudden, he wakes up in the morning. He rolls over and looks and ah! I mean, can you imagine? Come on, let's be real here. The reality of it. I mean, you've spent the night, you've consummated the marriage, you're all over and look, and it's the ugly one. <laughs> oh man, are you ticked? You are upset. You've just spent seven years of your life working for the ugly sister. And now you're married to her. You're stuck with her. He is upset. So he goes to Laban, and it says, and uh, he immediately, I'm sure he jumped up out of the bed, and he ran off and out of his tent to Laban, and he wanted an explanation. Said, it came to pass in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Did I not serve with thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hath thou deceived me? Hey, listen, he had deceived his own dad. Sin always goes around. We've heard it, what goes around comes around. Listen, that's true here. He had been out-deceived. And Laban said, you know what? I forgot to tell you about the custom of our town. I am so sorry. It just kept slipping my mind over these last seven years. It just kept slipping my mind. I know I should have told you, but in our town, it's a custom that the older daughter always gets married first. All the time. Sorry about that. But listen, don't feel bad. I'll tell you what. If you'll give me another seven years, I'll give you Rachel. Seven more years, I'll give you Rachel. It says, she'll go and read the story. It says, fulfill her weeks and we'll give thee this also for your service, which thou shalt serve with me yet seven other years. And Jacob did so and fulfilled her week and he gave him Rachel, his daughter, to be, to be his wife. So he just didn't work seven years for her. He worked 14 years. In verse 30 says, and he went unto, into also unto Rachel. Here's that next marriage. There was the working and then there was the next wedding. Um, he went into Rachel and he loved also Rachel more than Leah and served with him yet seven other years. I want to turn because I believe if you were watching a soap opera, it would probably sort of, you know, end right there and the next day would begin to now focus on Leah. Because as you'll read this, the Bible says, very interesting, that Jacob hated Leah. Think about that. I mean, she had always, in a sense, lived 
under the beauty of her sister. And now all of a sudden, she's got a husband who doesn't want anything to do with her. She's got a husband who loves her sister more. All of their, all of their life, her sister had been the beautiful one. All of her life, she had been the one who, in a sense, wasn't as pretty as her sister, being compared to her sister. And maybe some of you sit here and you feel like that. You know, you, you've gone through some similar things. Maybe it wasn't by, you know, maybe it wasn't by looks, but maybe it was, you know, well, if you were only like your brother, he can do this. If you were only like your sister, wow, look, she can play the piano. You have a hard time playing the radio. I mean, the reality of it is, is probably some of us have all lived, if you have brothers and sisters, maybe you felt that from your parents. And here the reality of this is she has been living under her sister, and now she's they're married to the same man. And how does her husband feel about her? Well, you read, the Bible says he hates her. Remember, who's in control here though? Who's wrote, who wrote the script of this story? God wrote the script. He knew what Lee was going to go through. Before Lee was born, he knew that she was going to have eye problems. She, he knew that she was going to be hated by her husband. He knew all this. But you know what? Listen to me. You want to see that God's in control? Because sometimes He'll step in. Sometimes He lets things go, but on other times He steps in. It's like in a sense out on the playground. Sometimes I go out here and I watch our teachers on the playground. And I watch them as they are out there and they're just sort of watching the kids. And some of the kids are up on the swings here. And There's many times a kickball game going on over in the corner there. That right-hand corner of the playground. And other kids are running around and talking. And, and, and the teacher's just sitting there or standing there now, she is just watching, but she's in control of that playground, isn't she? Sometimes she lets things go on. Sometimes she'll see one of the girls talk bad to one of the other girls. Or sometimes she might see one of the boys say something or even, you know, hit one of the other boys. And sometimes they'll step in and sometimes they won't. Because maybe she decided, hey, you know what? I'm not going to step in. I'm going to let these boys work it out because in Bible class this morning, we talked about how to get along with our enemy. And so I'm going to let it play out and I'm going to let it see. She's in control though, isn't she? She can make the decision to step in and control or she can make the decision to stand back and watch what happens. But she's still in control and that's how God is. Sometimes He steps in, sometimes He doesn't. But He's still in control of the situation. And so here... God steps in and He makes it so that Rachel cannot have children and makes it so that Leah is fruitful. And so what happens now is Leah, I say, is looking for love in all the wrong places. She is wanting to be accepted by her husband and who wouldn't? She was married to him. And so... As we read this narrative, it's very interesting. It says, verse 30, And he went in also unto Rachel, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah, and served with him yet seven other years. And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And then Leah is going to have several children. And what is interesting now is the name that she gives these children. In, all, in the biblical times, names were very significant. Your name always had a meaning, and these names have a meaning. And so we're going to look at this. Verse 32, And Leah conceived and bare a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction, 
Now therefore my husband will love me. Reuben. The word Reuben means I am seen. That's what his name means. Reuben. I am seen. Surely God has seen me. Surely God's looked down upon me. Surely God has seen the plight that I'm in. I hope He has anyway. I hope He's seen me. And I hope now that my husband will see me. Look, the wife that he loves over here, she can't even have children. At least I'm giving him children. And even more than that, I gave him a son. I am seen. Oh, she was wanting to be seen. She was wondering if she was seen by God. She was wondering if God knew about her plight. And have you ever been there, dear Christian? Have you ever been there in the throes of difficulty where you're saying, God, don't you see me? God, don't you know what I'm going through? God, don't you see me down here on earth? Here I am, God, look at me. Don't forget about me, God. That's what Lee is doing here. God, look at me. I need your help. And then she's hoping that her her own husband will see her. But it doesn't end there. Because almost another year passes and she has another child. It says in verse 33, and she conceived again and bare a son and said, because the Lord hath heard thee, I was hated. He hath therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Simeon, I am heard. I am heard. God has heard me. He's opened up my womb, but... God, are, are you really listening? Are you really listening to what I'm going through? And how often must in these 16 or 17 years now, she tried to go to Jacob and say, don't you know that I love you? Don't you know that I care for you? And yet he hated her. We don't even have any really knowledge of in Scripture of him even after these children treating her any different or accepting her. And, and, you, and you wonder that because of what she names the children. You, you would pick up from the story that she's not being accepted by him. I am heard. And then the next she has another son in verse 34, and she's conceived again and bare a son and said, now this time will my husband be joined unto me because I have borne him three sons, therefore his name will be Levi. I am attached. Attached. She so much wanted to have that attachment with her husband. She's the word. The word there actually means to cleave to. She was looking where that scripture tells us in Ephesians five to leave and cleave. She was looking for someone to cleave to, and yet he was rejecting her. And finally, it's not her last son, but the last one that we'll look at. It's interesting. And she conceived again, and she bare a son, and said, "Now, now, finally." For four years or more, I have been looking for other places for love. Now I'm going to finally turn to God. Now will I praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah and left bearing. Judah means I will praise him. I really believe in this story here that somewhere between baby number three and and number four, that something happened in her relationship to God and she finally got to that point and says, God, I don't understand what I'm going through. God, I don't understand why this happened to me. God, I don't understand whatever it will be that you're going through. Why do I have to go through this, God? I finally think she came to that point. She said, God, I don't understand. But you know what? Even in the midst of my trial, I'm going to praise you. 
And you know, listen to me this morning, Christian, until you get to that place, no matter what you're going through, and you can lift up your hands and face to God and say, God, I don't understand. I'll never understand this side of heaven. But I know you're in control. I know you're sovereign. And God, I'm just going to praise you and thank you for it. Until you come to that point, you're going to have a hard time living in this world. You really are. And that's what it has to be. You've got to come to that point in the midst of your difficulties and say, God, I don't understand, but God, I'm going to praise you anyway. Quickly, as we close this morning, as we close the day's narrative, if you would, I want to give you three quick lessons that I think I see in this story. Number one is simply this. You don't do sin, sin does you. You know, I really believe that Jacob, the deceiver, thought he had it all together. You know what? I can control my life. I can do what I want to do. I can sin and I can get away with it. But listen, some of you are sitting here today and you're living in sin and you're involved in sin and you think you're in control. You are not in control. Sin will do you. You might, consider, you, might, you might sin. Listen, here's the reality of it. You sow, but God decides what you reap. You sow, but God decides what you reap. Jacob learned he might have sinned, but sin did him, didn't it? It cost him dearly. You don't do sin, sin does you. And if you're here this morning and you're involved in sin, you better deal with it. You better deal with it quickly before it does you in. Secondly, this. It's always Leah in the morning. Say, so what do you mean it's always Leah in the morning? How many of you have ever bought a new car? You've walked around, it's perfect. And then you go to the shopping center. And you park as far out as you can. And you come out of the store and somebody else parked right next to you. And what have they done? get out there and they've opened. Or somebody's let a shopping cart go into your brand new car. You know, the, the reality of life is this. Let me tell you, living in this world, we live in a sinful world. You know, as the world turns, it is sinful. Why do you think in Revelation God's going to destroy this world? Because it's a sinful world. The Bible says in Romans, even the rocks cry out for God's redemption. It is a sinful world. And because we live in a sinful world that's turning, we are all touched by sin every day. And the reality of it is, it's not a negative thing, but the reality of it is, it is Lee in the morning. Because we are all, listen, we're all, many of us are going to face the doctor and hear you've got cancer. That's Lee in the morning. It is. You know, for me, three times in, in six months, I've gone and heard the doctor say at the dermatologist, oh, you've got melanoma. For me, that's like Lee in the morning. I don't like that. I don't like it at all. And, and many of you, and I think of our church, and we have dear men here who've lost their dear wives, and for them, that's Lee in the morning. And, and we have people who are sitting here who, you know, I think of you who've had to deal with moms and deal with dads and all those things. It's Leah in the morning. It is, and this life is full of heartache, isn't it? It's full of Leah in the mornings. But the good news is not going to be forever. The good news is someday this all too will pass because there'll be a brand new earth. There'll be a brand new time in heaven where we won't have to fight with sin. 
But right now, the reality of it is a lot of times in this life, it's going to be Leah in the morning. It's the reality of life. And then the last thing is simply this. Satisfaction is only found in God. You know, Leah in this story, I see she's looking for satisfaction. She's trying to find that satisfaction from Jacob. She's trying to find it everywhere. But the only time that she ever really had peace when she came and she said, you know what, God, it's only found in you. Some of you sit here, some of you young people, man, you think satisfaction's in money. You think satisfaction's in fame. You think the more fame, the more money, the more prestige you have, the more you'll be satisfied. Let me tell you, it's the more emptiness you'll have. Because there's only one place there's true satisfaction, and that's in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Other than that, there's no satisfaction. This world doesn't have satisfaction to give. For you people who are old, you know, Mick Jagger sang that song, I can't get no satisfaction. A lot of theology to what Mick Jagger sang. Not much theology to Mick Jagger himself. But there was a lot of theology that's true in that song he sang, I ain't got no satisfaction. You know, because you won't find satisfaction anywhere but in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's where it's at this morning. What's it all about? It's about this. God's in control. God's in control. And even this morning, some of you might have slipped into our service and God is drawing you to Him. God has even chose the day of your salvation. It says that in Ephesians. He's predestined it. God's in control. You know, we talked about the writer of the script at the beginning of the message this morning. God wrote the story from beginning to end. God wrote your story from beginning to end. God is sovereign. He's in control. Let's bow our heads. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, this morning, I don't know what your need is, but maybe it's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you slipped into our service today and you said, Dick, if I died today, I'm not 100% sure I'm going to heaven. I'm going to be in the back after the service. And if you're here today and you are not 100% for sure, if this was the last day for you to live, if this was the last day that you were to take a breath on this earth, you're not sure if you're going to heaven I want to encourage you this morning to see me at the back and just come up and say, hey, Dick, you know what? I'm not sure I'm on my way to heaven, but I'd like to know. And Christian, this morning, maybe you've got to come to that point just like Leah did in our story this morning where you've got to say, God, I don't understand. God, I'm not really sure I like this thing of it being Leah in the morning either. Sometimes I feel like I've got the raw end of the deal. Well, this morning, you're either going to get bitter or better. That's the reality of it. You've got to come to that point in your life and say, God, this is what's happened to my life, and I'm willing to accept it, and I'm willing to praise you in the midst of it. I don't think it means we have a fatalistic attitude that we're just looking for bad things to happen, but the reality is we live in a sinful world, and sin is going to affect us then maybe you just need to come to the point where, God, I'm going to praise you in the midst because I know you are sovereign and in control. And if you're here this morning and you've got sin in your life, if you're not right in some area, I would encourage you to repent and turn from it. Deal with it. For it does you in. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this great story. Lord, it's just not a soap opera. It is a story, Lord, that really happened. These are real people. These are real situations in the Word of God that, Lord, 
give great application for us, for our lives. May we leave here encouraged today, if nothing more, to know that we have a sovereign God who is in total control. There is nothing that's going to happen in our life today or this week that you don't know about, that you're not in control of. And may we find real comfort and peace in that fact. In your name we pray. Amen.